You are listening to ReachMDXM, the channel for medical professionals. The skin, what secrets does the largest organ in our body hold? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. Jody Gans, dermatologist at Olansky Dermatology in Atlanta. Dr. Gans is a member of the American Academy of Dermatology and the Women's Dermatologic Society. Welcome, Jody. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Jody, let's start with just the bread and butter basics of dermatology this morning. We all know that the skin plays a very important role in diagnosing disease. Has there been any major advances recently in diagnosing disease through the skin? It's funny. I think dermatology is one of the few fields where we still really rely on a good physical exam. I'll tell you, the chairman that I trained with at the University of Virginia always said observation was your number one tool. So I think we really appreciate the physical exam in dermatology. We get a sense of who the patient is overall, what they look like from across the room, before we even get into the nitty-gritty of what's going on with their rash or their lesion or anything like that. In terms of new stuff, I would say the biggest advances are probably in dermatopathology and dermoscopy. Dermatopathology, they've been developing a number of new stains, tissue markers that can be extremely helpful when you're diagnosing. But still, the clinician who's submitting that specimen needs to give that information to the pathologist to say, this is what I think is going on. And from my clinical impression, what can you tell me under the microscope? It's one of the few fields where the pathologist and the clinician still work really, really tightly to get that answer. Dermoscopy is a really neat tool that we're using a lot more of in the United States. It entails using a magnifying scope in your hand so that you can look more closely at details of the skin. The area that this is really coming into play is in in diagnosing skin tumors and specifically melanoma. In Europe, they've been doing this for years, and they've really kind of come down with criteria that help you see what's happening on the surface and relay that to what can be seen under the microscope. So we're getting better at it here in the U.S. and really trying to figure out how we can use this in day-to-day practice. But, I mean, if I had to say one thing, I think, honestly, a good physical exam is the number one thing that dermatologists do really well. Dr. Gans, does dermoscopy save you from doing unnecessary biopsies on suspected melanomas? It, It can. I think the general rule of thumb, though, is at least for most clinicians, if you're still thinking it's an abnormal lesion, Dermoscopy is never going to stop me from doing that biopsy. A biopsy is a pretty non-invasive procedure. So to have that peace of mind for you and the patient, I think most dermatologists are still using dermoscopy as an adjunct, but the biopsy is the gold standard. When you're using dermatopathology, is that what it's called? Uh Uh-huh, dermatopathology. Does it usually just kind of confirm what you thought the lesion was, or are you surprised sometimes when when the diagnosis comes back as something different? Absolutely both. I mean, I am the first person to admit I am humbled every day. I really rely on my dermatopathologist, and like I said, we work a lot together. So oftentimes I will see a lesion, try to give as complete of a differential diagnosis as I can, and then really value their input. I speak on the phone with my pathologist virtually every day. They'll want to know more about the patient. I'll want to know more about the tissue stains and go from there. One of the things that, on a personal note, attracted me to the field of dermatology is that it's one of the few fields where you are still trained to really know what's happening on a microscopic level. 
in many states, dermatopathologists don't really function all that much. The dermatologists themselves will read their slides. So it's a really nice way to kind of put bench to bedside together. You can see the patient, you can do the biopsy, you can look at the slide and really have that complete cycle that a lot of fields don't have anymore. So you've got to know what you're expecting under the microscope. But am I surprised? Absolutely, every day. Do you think that the younger dermatologists are using dermatopathologists more and the older dermatologists are still reading their own slides just because that's their habit and it has a financial benefit to their practice? I think it's actually very regional. There are certain areas of the U.S. where it is common practice that the clinician still reads their slides and other areas where that would be totally unheard of. Dermatopathologists are a very specialized niche of pathology. So in certain areas of the country, there aren't very many. I also think it's a medical legal issue. A lot of dermatologists are getting scared and, you know, rightfully so to call a melanoma a melanoma. So I think what most people do is if they read their slides, they also have someone who they could call on for a consultation for a backup if they need it. That's how I think it's being done mostly. I do think younger clinicians are probably shying away from the dermatopathology, but it's still a very significant part of their training so that they can at least interpret what they're getting back from their colleagues. Dr. Gans, let's move forward and talk a little bit about how you can diagnose internal diseases by looking at the skin. They say the the eyes are the window to the soul. Is there a is there a similar expression about the skin? Not a similar expression, but I would absolutely agree with it. You know, it's just very important to kind of get a sense of who that patient is before you get into the specifics of what brought them into your clinic to get an idea of what their overall health is. You know, I usually spend the first couple minutes just going over their history form with them, looking what other medicines they're on, looking what other conditions they have, because so many of them relate to the specific problem that brought them in. For example, I mean, I can tell you I see a lot of hair loss and alopecia patients, and very often it will relate to a medicine they're on, a stressor in their life, some other systemic disease they have. To just look at their hair, to just look at their scalp is going to give you an incomplete picture without knowing the rest of that. So you actually spend time with your patients? I try. I try. I will tell you that dermatology is a fast field. Your average patient visit is anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes. So I try to boil it down as as well as I can, but do a little bit of my research for sure. You're an expert at time management. Exactly. We all we try to be. So let's say you see something that kind of throws a red flag up that you think is very worrisome. Do you get on the phone? Do you call their primary care physician? Or do you just say, I know what this is. I'm going to treat this. I do both. I try to do as much of a workup that I think I need to get my diagnosis. But at the same time, I think everybody has a niche for a reason. I don't profess to be the expert in heart disease or liver disease. And if I think there's something that's better treated by an expert, I'm going to make sure I speak with them. And I do actually try to get on the phone. It's hard. It's hard in the middle of the day. But sometimes I will send a note, send an email, and then follow up with the phone call so that everyone's on the same page. There are certainly some subspecialties that we work very closely with. I tend to work a lot with my otolaryngology colleagues. I tend to work a lot with my endocrinology colleagues. I tend to work a lot with plastic surgeons. And then, of course, the primary care is the one that's coordinating it all. 
unfortunately, one of the things I see a lot is that many of my patients don't have a primary care doctor. Depending on where you practice and where you live, some people don't need a referral to go see a specialist. And people will just come to the dermatologist or come to their specialist of choice without necessarily having someone to coordinate what's going on with them. So I have a steady list of primary care doctors that I quite often refer to because I think it's important that they have someone looking out for their overall health as we treat these specific conditions. Like I said, they all, they all relate. Dr. Gans, let's pick on an organ. How about the liver? You mentioned the liver. What kind of things can I be looking for in my patients that can give me a clue that I have an alcoholic in front of me? Sure. One of the most obvious things would be jaundice. I can tell you as a, as a first-year resident, I saw a woman come in who was yellow from her eyes to her toes and, you know, had been treated by her primary care doctor for, quote-unquote, poison ivy on three separate occasions with prednisone. And I looked at her and I said, why did he treat you for poison ivy? You're, you're yellow. She said, well, I've been itchy, and he must have assumed I had poison ivy. Well, she was itchy because her bilirubin was so high because she had a Klatskin's tumor and was dead within two months. I mean, that's the extreme, but these things happen. I think the most typical manifestation of liver disease, at least common, is going to be itching. And you need to ask the right questions. Do you have any problems with your liver? One of the biggest things we're seeing is chronic hepatitis, both hepatitis B and hepatitis C. So a lot of times people won't know if they have hepatitis, but it's a pretty easy blood test to do and much more common than we think. Other things that we see are dilated blood vessels, especially on the upper chest and back, what we call spider angioma. So you'd say to someone, hey, have you always had those? You know, what's going on there? And you kind of recognize these very specific clues that can lead you down the right line of questioning. You're listening to Reach MDXM, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm with Dr. Jody Gans of Olansky Dermatology in Atlanta. Dr. Gans, what kind of things can you see in the skin that give you a clue that something's wrong with someone's heart? The most common form of heart disease that you're going to see in the skin is just going to be poor circulation. So you'll see cool extremities, hairlessness on the lower legs in men, You'll see the brown hemocytorin deposition that you get over time when people have a chronic venous insufficiency and swelling. Those are the day-to-day things that you'll see. Occasionally, we'll see xanthomas, which can be representative of cholesterol deposits in the skin. What I always tell people is about half of people who have xanthomas on the skin will have high cholesterol, but about half won't. So it will certainly clue you in as the dermatologist to inquire about it and maybe draw a lipid panel. If I found something abnormal, I'm going to coordinate with my cardiology friends and and talk about that. Unfortunately, so many of your heart disease patients are also going to have diabetes, and there are specific things that we'll see with diabetes. Sometimes we'll see a hardening of the skin on the lower legs, what we call lipodermatosclerosis, which can be involved with diabetes and heart disease. Very commonly on the lower legs, we'll see ulcers that won't heal as a manifestation of their disease. All of these are kind of indicative of poor circulation that then would neither would further need to be worked up. Dr. Gans, another topic that is very popular in the media is delusions of parasitosis or Morgellons disease. Can you comment on that? Absolutely. We've been seeing it for years, but I will tell you, patients come in lately because they've heard about it on the news and want to know all about this condition. This is what we consider to be a, a fixed delusion 
meaning these are people who function in normal life, who hold a job, who have a family, but they have this one aspect of their life where they are truly holding on to this delusion of something in their skin. Oftentimes they will describe a bug and they'll have been treated for scabies, they'll have been treated for lice with no avail. You certainly need to take these people seriously and work up everything. But when those come up negative, consider that this might not be a true skin disease as much as an internal or psychological disease. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Jody Gans, who joined us today to discuss diagnosis through dermatology. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.